poorly on the shirt color today, so I'm just getting it out there so that the self-consciousness in me can just go away and I can preach the word today without worrying about raising my arms and doing this. So I'm just saying it because my daughter pointed it out, was like, I'm dad. And I'm like, I know, I get it, okay? It's a big day, there's a lot of people in the room and I'm sweating and that's, I'm a sweater, I can't do anything about it. So I know that's not what you came to hear today on Easter, but I'm just getting that out of the way for my own Jay just prayed about our anxieties to go away, and I, I need that one to go away so I can just preach the word. So, and I forgot my clicker down here, thinking about sweating and everything else, and so here we go. We're going we're gonna to get after it this morning. It's Easter. He is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He is risen indeed. We are here on this, this huge, huge Sunday in the life of the church where literally we celebrate an event that I believe, we believe, those who have put their faith in Christ believe that this event has changed the world forever. It's changed the landscape. Nothing's the same. If Jesus indeed raised from the dead, the world is totally transformed. Everything is new. Even though you don't see it, even though you look out there and you think like, yeah, sure, the world's changed. So why is it so messy? We have this hope. That in spite of what we see, the world has been changed. This is going to be a little interesting Easter reflection this morning. I, I want to warn you. It's going to be a little bit interesting. I want to do something kind of interesting with the story because something jumped out at me as I prepared for this sermon. I looked back and it turns out that last year I preached on this same text. So you're like, what do you do? Is it, I'm probably the only one that remembers that, by the way. But us preachers, we look back, we're like, oh yeah, that was so fresh, got to do something different. Although, it's not going to be too different, it's Easter. You can't get too wacky with Easter. But one of the more interesting features of Luke's Easter story, Luke's rendition of the Easter story, is that there's a, a particularly important individual missing from this Easter story. Did you notice that in the reading? You have, you have the women that come to the tomb, you've got the dudes in the lightning clothes, You've got the disciples who are like, yeah, whatever. I love that in the, in the Greek, actually, this word nonsense, they thought their words were nonsense. It's the word leros, where we get the word delirious. So the disciples are like, yeah, you're delirious. Thanks, but no thanks. And we've got Peter. Peter, always Peter, spontaneous Peter, jumping to action Peter, who runs to the tomb to see for himself. But who don't we have? We don't have Jesus. Yeah, this is the moment for that Sunday school answer. So I was doing Sunday school with youth, and they're like, I don't know, is it, is it Jesus? And often you would ask a question that had nothing to do with Jesus, and they'd be like, I don't know, pray, go to church, read the Bible, Jesus. Those are like the four standard Sunday school answers, you know. One of those has to be right. This is that moment where who's missing from the story, the Sunday school answer? Jesus. We got to know Jesus. Maybe that's kind of a problem on Easter Sunday. What's going on? These women, they come to the tomb expecting to find a body. Did you, you catch that, right? The disciples who were told over and over again, Pastor Matt talked about this last week, they were told time and time again. Jesus said, hey, here's where we're going. We did this whole series, Journey to the Cross. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. They're going to crucify me. And on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. But last week, Palm Sunday, when they rode in, he rode in triumphantly. You have to wonder, were they thinking, it's not going to happen that way. 
He's going to be king. It's going to be great. He's going to overthrow the Romans. This is the way it's all supposed to go down. And then the cross. But none of them, it seems, none of them remembered that last part. And on the third day, I will rise again. And so these women come to the tomb on that third day. And they encounter a curious sight. The stone is rolled away. And there's no Jesus. And they, they wonder to themselves, what's going on here? You notice that their first inclination isn't, he's risen! It's, where's Jesus? What do they do with him? In another, I believe it's John's rendition, John's telling of the story, there's a gardener. The gardener happens to be Jesus. They don't recognize him. And they say, where did you put him? Where have you put him? See, they jump to the conclusion that his body must have been moved. Somebody must be playing a trick on them. Somebody, for fear, and there's other texts that talk about this, for fear that maybe the followers would do something with the body, there's guards at the, gate, at the tomb. There's all these ways that we could, we could say, people have come up with other ways to explain this, that maybe the body was stolen. There's even these crazy theories out there that Jesus didn't actually die. He kind of fainted. And then they brought him back to life to make it look like he had died. There's these theories that are out there. But see, there's something that's happening on this Easter Sunday that I think is amazing and helps tie us to the story 2,000 years later. Because we too come this morning, and unless he walked in and I didn't see him, Jesus isn't physically present with us either. And so we are so much more like those early disciples coming each year to celebrate and to wonder and to be amazed and and to just be all over the spectrum of human faith wherever you're at to say, what is this event about? There's those of you who are here and maybe you're like the disciples and you're like, it's just nonsense. And maybe you're here and you're like Peter and you're like, I wonder, I wonder what has happened. Or maybe... As we'll see in the text, you're like these women who you hear the proclamation from those who have gone before us. You hear the proclamation, He is risen, and that's all you need. And you believe it and you say, yes, He is risen. That means the game has been changed. And so these two men show up. The women, right, they go to the tomb. The body's not there. And these men show up. Later, they're identified as angels. These men appear And I love when Luke says that they're wearing lightning clothes. I don't know why, I just love that image. That they're in like lightning clothes of some sort. And the women see these two angelic beings. And the angelic beings, if you remember what they said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And then then they say this, remember. Do you remember how he told you While he was still with you in Galilee, he told you how this was all going to go down. Do you remember? And for these women, it seems like this interaction with the angels triggered that memory. And they remembered and they said, we do remember. It's just like he said. In verse 8 it says, then they remembered his words. And it's that moment where they run back. They remembered his words. They've moved from what is going on here, puzzlement. Maybe some doubt and plenty of confusion. Maybe some terror if guys in lightning clothes are there. And they move from that to, 
We believe we need to tell the others. We need to tell the others, but the others, as we've talked about, the others, I'm imagining them locked up in a room. Some of the other texts say that they're locked up in the room for fear of what's going to happen to them. This happened to their leader, so what's going to happen to them? Surely people know they were following him. They were the closest followers. What will happen to them? And you wonder, they're locked in that room and they're just repeating some things like, Messiahs don't die, right? We've read, Messiahs don't die. The Messiah, the chosen one? And there's some doubt. Was he the one? Did we leave family and leave our work and leave all of this for nothing? What is going on here? Didn't we see him perform those miracles? Didn't we see him bring Lazarus back from the dead? So he could bring others back from the dead, but he's gone? See, they had apparently forgotten. And for whatever reason, the angels don't in this moment come to them. So like I said, we could see ourselves in any of these places of these disciples on that first Easter morning. You could be like those women who they remembered. They remembered what they had been told and they said, yes, that's why I'm here in this place because I believe. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and he conquered death and he conquered sin and he did all that. Hallelujah, that's why I'm here. Or you could be like these disciples who are just like, I don't know that the story adds up. Or you could be like Peter. Peter who, when he hears the news, rushes to the tomb. And I think it's interesting that Peter... For whatever reason, this is how God made this whole story lay out and how Luke tells us Peter doesn't get any angels. I wonder that. Why doesn't Peter get some angels? Why not? What was going on there that Peter didn't get the angels? The angels had another appointment or something. They could only be there so long and then it's, you know, they trusted. This was one of the problems back then. They trusted these women to tell the story. And the women did, yeah, and the women did their job. And the disciples were like, sure. But Peter gets there, no angels, no Jesus. And the word we're left with, the word Luke leaves us with about Peter is that he left there wondering what had happened. I wish there was a better word. Wondering what had happened. It's not a lot of faith in that it could be but Peter the disciple par excellence he is just left wondering I wondered myself what if and this is the part that's going to be a little bit interesting what if Jesus had never physically appeared to these disciples after the resurrection would they still have believed Would they eventually have come to a place of belief? Would they still have carried the Jesus teaching, the Jesus way, the Jesus message forward? Would they have carried it to the world had they not experienced eventually the risen Christ? Would they have kept the movement going? And this is where we we, we can maybe say that's kind of us. We haven't experienced the physical resurrected Jesus Christ, but we see that the movement Continues. I came across a parable of sorts that I found really interesting. 
This parable talks about a group of Jesus' earliest followers who leave the scene after the crucifixion. It says, late that evening, a group of unknown disciples packed their few belongings and they left for a distant shore. They could not bear to stay another moment in the place where Jesus had just been crucified. Weighed down with sorrow, they left that place never to return. Instead, they traveled a great distance in search, in search of a land they could call home. After months of difficult travel, they finally happened upon an isolated area that was ideal for setting up a new community. They settled, founding a community far from Jerusalem where they vowed to keep the memory of Christ alive, to live in simplicity, love, forgiveness, just as he had taught them. And the members of this community, they lived in solitude for over a hundred years, parable mind you. Over a hundred years, spending their days reflecting on the life of Jesus, teaching generation after generation about Jesus and his teachings and his ways and how it changed their lives. But remember, they didn't know about the resurrection. But their isolation was eventually broken when early one morning a small band of missionaries reached the settlement. These missionaries were amazed at this community. What was most startling to them was that these people had no knowledge of the resurrection. Without hesitation, the missionaries gathered the people together and recounted and and told the story of what happened. You missed it. Jesus raised from the dead. He is risen. That evening, there's a great festival in the camp, and the people celebrated the news of the missionaries. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's interesting to consider, to wrap our minds around, what would you do if you were in the shoes of these disciples or others? If you're like us, where you're just asked to carry out this Jesus movement without maybe the physical, physical experience of the resurrected Jesus. And now here is where the tale gets interesting. If you didn't think it was interesting enough already. As the night progressed, one of the missionaries noticed that the leader of the community is absent. This bothered the young man, so he set out to look for this respected elder. Eventually, he found the community's leader crouched low in a small hut on the fringe of the village, weeping. Why are you in such sorrow? asked the missionary. Today's a time for celebration. The man replied, it may indeed be a day for great celebration, but it's also a day of sorrow. See, since the founding of this community, we followed the ways taught to us by Christ. We pursued his ways faithfully, even though it cost us. We remained resolute despite the belief that death had indeed defeated him and would one day defeat us also. He got to his feet, looked the missionary compassionately in his eyes. He said, each day we have forsaken our very lives for Jesus because we judged him wholly worthy of the sacrifice, wholly worthy of our entire beings. But now I'm concerned, this is the interesting piece, that my children and my children's children may follow him not because of his radical life and supreme sacrifice, but selfishly. Because his sacrifice will just ensure their personal salvation and eternal life. With this, the elder turned, he left the hut, made his way to the celebrations that could be heard dimly in the distance, leaving the missionary crouched on the floor. That's probably not the Easter proclamation you were looking for this morning. But I think this parable challenges us. It challenges us to consider 
Why is it that we're following Jesus? What is it? If the resurrection is indeed true and we proclaim that it is and we believe it with all we've got, what does that mean for us who have given our lives to Jesus? What does that look like in the way we live our lives? Thankfully, the author of the parable explains where he was going with all of this. Not to just leave us in a cliffhanger, leave us in a, well, that's kind of depressing for Easter, Pastor Chad. Thanks for that. Be warm and well fed. He says this, the story explores the controversial possibility that Christians are not called to believe in the resurrection, but listen to this piece, stay with me, but are called to be the site where resurrection takes place. That you and I who have put our faith in Jesus, who have said we believe he was raised from the dead, we are to be walking embodiments of the power of the resurrection. That when people encounter us, they say, what is going on with you? In a good way. Because you're not anxious about the junk going on in the world. You seem to have hope. You seem to be at peace When all the world is crumbling around, you seem to have it all together when you shouldn't. Or even if you don't have it all together, you're surrounded by a community. What's up with your community? These church friends. Who are these people? They're not even your family. And they come and they care for you and they pray with you and they bring you meals and they help you with your kids. What is up with that? What kind of people do those things? That is practicing the resurrection. That is each individual Christian being the site where resurrection takes place, carrying what Jesus did on the cross and what God did in raising Him from the dead, carrying it forward, passing it along so that others can see the difference that the resurrection makes because the resurrection literally, if it's true, has changed everything. It's changed everything. So what would it be like for those disciples who had never seen the resurrected Christ? They'd be like us. They'd be like us. See, we follow a line of people. This is what I find so amazing on Easter. Uh, Jay mentioned a song that we've sung for for, for decades, songs that we've sung for centuries, things that uh, we're going to baptize. This is something Christians have been doing for 2,000 years, people. On Easter, Christians, why are we still doing this? It's weird and it's cool. Because we're proclaiming that Jesus is alive. In the face of all the nonsense we see in our world, in our community, and all of that, we're like, we're still going to baptize. We're still going to worship. We still think there is hope when it all seems hopeless because we believe Jesus conquered death. And if death is conquered, what else is there to fear? What else is there to fear? See, this town elder, he, he was sad. He was wondering, would the people just take it for granted, though, this faith? If they knew it was just like a get-out-of-hell-free card. Hey, you just say some words, get a get-out-of-hell-free card, and you're good to go. He was afraid they wouldn't practice Jesus' words. They wouldn't practice life change. Wouldn't practice this resurrection truth they had learned. I remember being in Chicago 
one of my professors, actually it wasn't one of my professors, I was uh, working at a church in Chicago and one of the university professors was teaching a, a Sunday school one morning at the church. And he shared a story with us, because we're talking about baptism this morning as well, as, as we remember Jesus' words, as we remember what he has taught us. And this professor, he was telling a story about his son. I believe his son was six or seven at the time, and he was saying that his son got into one of those classic schoolyard squabbles. Not a real physical one. It was, you know, just got into one of these classic ones. Parents had to be called. You know the story. And he said to his son, and this is the part that I thought was really strange and really cool. There's a lot of that this morning. Really strange and really cool. He said to his son, you're baptized. You belong to Christ. This is not how people who belong to Jesus treat others. And I heard him say that and I thought it was kind of hokey. Can I just be honest? I was like... Yeah, well, the kid got punched. You should punch the kid back, right? <laughs> Come on. You're expecting him to be like, hey, you're baptized. Don't punch the kid back. And what, just get beaten to a pulp or what's going on? But I thought, wow, I'm cynical. Because as I thought about it more and more, I thought that is the truth of what we believe, that as we enter the waters of baptism, we don't believe something magical happens, but we believe that we die and rise with Christ, that we put on, as Paul says, we are clothed with Christ. We are a new creation. And so as we remember our baptism, I think that that's a powerful thing as these women, I I love this again, going back to the text, they were told, remember what he told you? Remember? Remember? And so this morning could be this opportunity for us to remember the promises we made in our baptism for those who have been baptized. Even if, like me, I was baptized as an infant, I I remember, I've been told by family members, remember there were promises made for you to mark you as Christ's own. You belong to Him. Our family believes that, that you belong to Him. And I believe that their prayers over the years through interesting times in my own life, interesting times in my own faith journey, where I did and didn't remember that I belonged to Jesus, that their prayers and the prayers of the church family carried me through to where I am today. And so we all need, wherever you're at on your walk, to be reminded that you belong to Christ. And the cool part about that is, whether you know it or not, you belong to Christ. Whether you've said officially, yes, I belong to you, Jesus, you belong to Christ. God made you in his image. He sent his son to die for each and every one of us. Paul says, while you were still a sinner, when you couldn't do anything about it, you couldn't be good enough to earn it. Because he did it when none of us deserved it. And then he raised him from the dead to defeat All the things that would hold us back, hinder us, keep us from living the life that God intended for us to live. You belong to Christ. There is a better way charted for you. There is a better way charted for each and every one of us if we grab hold and say yes to Jesus. 
And so we're called to practice the resurrection, to be the site where the resurrection takes place. Eugene Peterson, he's the author of the paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. He actually has a book called Practice Resurrection. He writes, the practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life. Life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. So practice resurrection. I've said it before, I'll say it again, we really are like those first disciples on that resurrection day. We need to be reminded We need to be reminded of those who have gone before us in the faith, who have believed in what they've taught us. We need to be reminded of Jesus' words. We need to be reminded of our baptism for those of us who have been baptized. We need to be reminded. And the reality is we we all come on Easter with different expectations. Some of you, you're just here because a family member said like, hey, come check it out. And you're like, why not? It's Easter. I guess that's what we do. And others of us are here because we're like, it's Easter. It's the greatest day ever. But wherever you're at or somewhere in between, we all really are like these disciples. We wonder what it's all about and we wonder what it means for our lives. If Christ has risen from the dead, how do we carry that truth out of this room into our world to change our world, to be the site where the resurrection takes place Every single day in our interactions with everybody, our family, our friends, our coworkers, fellow students, classmates. See, on this Easter Sunday, 2017, I find myself a little concerned and a little hopeful about what's going on in our world. See, I'm concerned whether our lives as followers of Christ are discernible, distinguishable from those who are not following Jesus. It pains me, I have conversations with people and and they'll say something like, I know a person who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, but he lives his life better and more Christ-like than some of the people who have given their lives to Christ do. And that's a confusing thing when we see that. It's confusing, it's concerning, and it's reality. Are our lives, if we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, defeating death, are our lives any different from anyone else that we bump up against in this world? Have we embraced the power of the resurrection like those who came before us? Like Paul, who's willing to say, I'm good to go, take me now, Jesus, unless you've got other things for me to do on this earth. Are we like most? Man, I am so afraid of death and afraid of suffering and afraid... Paul writes some crazy stuff in the Bible, by the way, because he believes this stuff. He believes Jesus is risen from the dead, and it causes him to do some crazy stuff, to walk into rooms where they're like, don't you do this. The first disciples, they were told early on, like, you need to quit preaching, or we're going to do to you what they did to Jesus. And they're like, okay, they get out of jail and they start preaching again. What are they doing? That's not safe, by the way. They shouldn't be doing what's against the law, and could, but they do it because they're so motivated by what Christ has done. And that's part of the legacy that we now, 2,000 years, we're living in that legacy. See, I'm hopeful though. I said I was concerned, but I'm also hopeful because I think we have this opportunity 
to share the gospel, to share the truth, the power of the resurrection in ways that are, will, be, will be powerful for the next generation and the generation to come. I was thinking about the so-called millennial generation, right? You guys all are like, oh, those guys. I've heard about those guys. I can talk about them because I'm sort of one of them and sort of not. And I worked with that generation for a long time, so I kind of understand them and I sort of don't. They're, again, they're kind of weird and kind of cool. There you go. What I love about them is they want, you hear these phrases, right? Be the change. Make a difference. Impact the world. I, I'll talk to some people and they can't figure out why they quit like a corporate job to go work at Starbucks. And they're like, that's better. I'd rather work at Starbucks and be able to travel instead of work. What? That's not the right way to live. Get a college degree. Get a job. Get married. Have kids. Come on. It's the way. Anyway. Enough about all that. Where am I going with that? But here's what I'm hopeful about. When I hear them say, be the change, make a difference, I think those are things that, that the church can help them be about. What if they believed, if we, we showed them that, gosh, that's exactly what the church is about? Making a difference, changing the world with the power of Christ and the power of the resurrection. Paul says that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, lives in me. Whoa, have you thought about that lately? Have we thought about that? I want to wrap up uh, this Easter message with a poem. Yes, I know poetry, okay? I have some poetry. I always get labeled as the sports jock guy, but I occasionally read some poetry. It's by Wendell Berry. I don't know if you've ever heard of Wendell Berry. He's a farmer in Kentucky. He's written a lot of essays, a lot of novels, just wonderful literature, but he has all these poems. And he has this poem called The Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. And he, he gives us some ideas, some examples of what it might look like to practice resurrection. To live in a way that causes people to say, what's different about you? What is this thing that makes you have hope? when it seems like there's so much hopelessness. So he writes this. Let me skip ahead because I totally ignored all my slides. He says this, Friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Love someone who does not deserve it. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. And be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. And he wraps up the poem with two simple words. Practice resurrection. It's his poem that speaks to that Christian hope, that, Christian, that, that hope that Christians have had for two millennia, where we say the world may be a total mess, but we believe something better is coming. We believe that if the resurrection is true, there's always something better coming. And we may not get to see it in this lifetime, but something better is coming. God is at work. God is always doing new things. He's not asleep on the job. Something new is coming. So plant a sequoia. 
I mean, you're not going to see that thing. That's going to be for four, five, seven, ten, fifty generations down the road. Some of these things I read are like 3,000 years old. Plant it anyway. Knowing that someday somebody is going to get to enjoy that thing. Invest in the millennium. What a weird thing to say. Invest in the next thousand years. Um, That's not smart. I wouldn't trust that financial advisor. But if you have hope in the future, hope that God is doing new things because the resurrection's changed everything, invest in the millennium. Knowing that God for generations to come will keep doing new things and it's worth investing in that, whatever that may be. Whatever that may be. What if we are the place? What if we are the site where the resurrection becomes real for the people we encounter every day? Isn't that a powerful thing to think about? That we can be the place where people experience in the way we live our lives and the words that we speak, people can experience the truth and the power of the resurrection in and through us. Let's pray. God, we come to this place on this Easter Sunday with great anticipation, great expectation, celebration to declare that the truth is you are risen. You are risen indeed. We shout hallelujah. We praise you, God, for what you have done. God, when we were powerless, when we could do nothing to save ourselves, you sent your son to die on that cross. Lord, I think of I think of the song we sung earlier, and it says, made like him, like him we rise. That is an incredible phrase, Lord. There's so much packed in there that you have made us in your image, and, and in some ways we are like Christ who was fully human yet fully God. And so like him, we too will one day rise. We hold on to that hope. We proclaim that hope. We think about those who have lost loved ones in this last year and we hold on to that hope that that's not the end. That's not the end of their story. Lord, as we think about the circumstances of our world, we pray, God, that we would be those where as people encounter us, interact with us, where they would see the power and the truth of the resurrection in the way we live our lives. God, I pray this morning for those who have yet to claim you, who have yet to say, I belong to you. Lord, that your spirit would nudge them this morning. Whether they're at the place of those disciples who disbelieved or at the place of Peter who wondered or at the place of the women who did believe, help us all to take a step closer to you, to reaching out and saying, I belong to Jesus and I want to be a place, a site where the resurrection is made real. Jesus, thank you for this day, this day of great celebration. We pray this all in your strong and powerful name, the name of the one who defeated death, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Would you please stand for our next song?